Let's pray together. Lord, what a joy it is to come to your word this morning. Uh, We recognize your truth in it. We pray that you would lead us to understand it. Amen. I don't know how many of you are fans of stage play. I'm sure many of you know more Shakespeare and Broadway than I do, but I do know that I've enjoyed the stage productions I've been to. Um, There's a certain anticipation and suspense to kind of the curtain drawn back, the stage props revealed, and the characters in their positions. I've had fun in the past participating in a few plays. I was cast as an elderly man uh, with a cane in his late 70s and as a nosy middle-aged secretary with a cold. So I'm not sure what that says about me or kind of my personality or demeanor, uh, but I do love watching these things. The passage we're going to this morning, picking up where we left off last week, is kind of like a stage play. It has two scenes. And as the characters come and go, we see a drama unfold and a great message communicated. And the wonderful thing about this stage play is it's not fiction. So as good as Twelfth Night or Macbeth might be, they are based off of the brilliance of human concoction, right? And they... Uh, they address true things, justice, revenge, but they aren't based on a true story. Luke's drama here, for us to consider, comes from the very word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, revealed to us so that we might know the truth. So let's read Luke 2, 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. So scene one, verse eight. Who's the first to enter the stage? Shepherds, out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. We kind of have a romantic idea of shepherding nowadays in our culture, I think. We think of shepherds as having this kind of remote, distant lifestyle, living among the the land. Uh, And then our minds trail off to German shepherds and shepherd's pie. Uh, Even in Scripture, though, uh, we see shepherds presented in good light, especially in the New Testament. Our elders are called shepherds. Jesus himself is called by himself a shepherd in John 10. Shepherds care and guide and protect. But the shepherds that we find here in this passage, I think we must understand how they were viewed in that culture. Their occupation was not seen favorably in the least. 
Shepherds were sometimes thieves. Uh, Their word wasn't accepted in court. In fact, a rabbi in the third century is on record as saying this, there is no more despised occupation in the world than that of shepherds. Let us know what you really think, right? And so here are these shepherds working the night shift, and they're, they're not to be regarded with much esteem or honor, at least not yet. But look what happens in verse 9. Here comes the second character in the scene. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So you can imagine what's happening here. I mean, we just sang Silent Night, right? Which I'm convinced was written as a lullaby, um, because I almost fell asleep to it this morning. Uh, But it kind of helps us understand what's going on here. It's at night. It's silent. It's not much going on. The sheep are bleating, maybe. Uh, It's dark. But in verse 9, it's like the stage production changes and all the spotlights just go full bore. They go up to their fullest capacity. Light streams all around. An angel of the Lord appears, and Luke tells us the glory of the Lord shone around them. Uh, We use the word glory a lot. We say God is glorious. We say we give him glory. Uh, Here especially, this idea of glory is kind of like radiance or brightness. And so you see a contrast here. Darkness, light. I mean, if you were watching this in the audience, it's a stage play, right? At this point, you'd probably audibly gasp. It's just click, boom, light. What's happening? Obviously, the shepherds are asking that same question, right? We see in verse 9 that they're filled with great fear. And this is actually the typical way that people respond uh, to, the, to the glory of God in the Bible. They fall flat on their faces. They shrink in fear. Even Mary, back in chapter 1, had to be told by an angel, don't be afraid, because she was terrified. One of the most famous accounts of this is back in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, where he beholds God's throne room, and he says, woe is me, which is a way of saying, I'm dead. I've seen the Lord. Isaiah is totally decimated at the sight. And here's this lowly shepherd, these shepherds, seeing the glory of the Lord. One commentator puts it like this. It is as if God were trying to make it crystal clear to what kind of people the good news of Jesus comes. It comes not to the rich and powerful, to those who have a sense of their need or no sense of their need. We need to be much aware of our humble state before the Lord. And this fear makes uh, what comes next all the more amazing because this angel and this glory all around these shepherds leads us to wonder what might happen. I mean, if you were them, you're coiling back. Um, Are they going to be struck dead? Are they going to kind of melt away in all this heat and light? And so what does the angel say in verse 10? Fear not. Isn't that amazing? In the face of the glory of the one true God, these lowly shepherds here, don't be afraid. The the glory of the Lord is all around them. There's no escape. The radiant brightness of this glory is like what struck the apostle Paul to the ground in Acts, remember? He's blinded. And here in the dead of night, the the shock of of this appearance of angels must have scared the living daylights out of these shepherds. But they hear, fear not. I wonder if you need to hear that this morning. Maybe you... Uh, Christian, have been filled with fear this past week. Dread, worry, sleeplessness, no peace, hurt. If so, hear these words of mercy from the angels. Fear not. I mean, what wasn't there to fear, right? Glory shining, light streaming, angels speaking, blazing. The angel goes on to give a reason for this command. He says, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So in the darkness of the, of the night, this angel brings both visible light and news of spiritual light to these shepherds. Uh, Jim read for us earlier from Isaiah 9. We saw the same contrast there. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, for to us a child is born. So the light that Isaiah saw coming to those in darkness had come to shepherds keeping watch at night, and the light shone all around them, transforming their dark night into incredible brightness. And, And as that had happened, so greater light had come, which could transform the darkness of their sinful hearts into hearts ready to behold a Savior. Great fear turning to great joy. Friends, that's really what Jesus does. And that's what the gospel is all about, what these angels are talking about. It's the news that sinners who, who have rebelled against God, all of us, really ought to live in fear of God's presence and his glory. It will consume us in our sin. And we are his enemies. Even if you are here this morning and you think, like, you know, I'm not God's biggest fan, but I'm certainly not his enemy. I mean, you too are God's enemy because you've decided to love other things more than God. Uh, He's the king of the universe, but you've turned away from him and you've given more honor to other things that he's created. You've rejected what he made you to do, which is to glorify him, finding your greatest joy in loving him. And so for you and for me and for all of us, we deserve God's white hot justice. In our sin, we don't find his presence cozy and comfortable. Uh, We find it bad news. Uh, It's a sentence of justice. We need salvation. And that's what the gospel gives us. The gospel doesn't stop at verse 9, leaving us in fear. The gospel goes on to verse 10 and says, wait, there's more. There's news. You can be made right with God. You can have your fear turned to joy. God doesn't leave you in your sin. He, He sent a substitute to take the punishment you deserved. Jesus was born as a man so you can be saved. He makes all the difference between great fear and great joy. He can reconcile you to God so that you are no longer his enemy, but his beloved child. As we saw last week, friends, Jesus didn't just come to be born in a manger. He came to be nailed to a cross, taking all the condemnation and justice that we deserved. So if we repent and turn to him, we'll be saved. God's wrath will be placed on his son and we will be set free. This is new life. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is the news the angel is heralding in verses 10 and 11. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, we're so grateful that you're here. What a privilege it is for us. But please understand that in your sin, your story ends at verse 9. If you persevere in your own agenda, you live for yourself, you will meet God in all his glory and you will meet him as your judge. He'll be terrifying. But this morning, I urge you, repent. Turn to this gracious God who sent his only son to die for you. Turn to him and be saved and know the great joy of the good news proclaimed here. Jesus invites you to that. The angel goes on to share with the shepherds there in verse 12 how they can find Jesus. And so understand that this news is true. And then they break in verse 13 into just this eruption of of praise. There's a multitude of the heavenly host. That word host means army. Uh, This is military imagery here. Uh, They're not, uh, this is is an army of heaven's strongest proclaiming Jesus' birth. And it's an army coming not to kind of array themselves up in in battle uh, attire, ready to strike. They're coming with news of peace. They're striking with light. 
The Savior's been born. The darkness is going to go away. There in verse 14, the angels proclaim glory to God, peace for those on whom his favor rests. Now, we often hear in songs and, and recitations this time of year that last line translated, peace, goodwill towards men. Uh, it's not exactly the best way that, that those words were originally meant. The, the translation we have in the English Standard Version is actually more helpful. It's not that God intends a sort of vague, catch-all kind of goodwill towards everyone. It's that he intends to carry out a plan of salvation for all who will repent and trust in him, for those on whom he chooses to put his favor. And friends, this call is for each of us this morning to turn to Christ and experience this, to be united to his son, to, to Jesus, God's son, given new life. For those of us who do that, there will be peace on earth and peace forever. So scene one is a killer scene. It's pretty awesome. Uh, there's a lot of special effects. And as the curtain is drawn and the angels leave, we're left with one more scene that we'll look at briefly. And this one features the shepherds acting on it, acting on what they've just seen in scene one. Look there in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So the shepherds kind of recover from this encounter with God's glory, and now they're kind of gung-ho to check it out. Let's see what happens. See if the, what the angels said is true. And it's interesting to kind of see this repeated line right there. 15, verse 15. This thing which the Lord has made known to us, to them. Uh, verse 17. Uh, they make known the thing that had been told them. Verse 20. They rejoice in what they have seen as it had been told them. Church, I think we can be reminded here that our story is the shepherd's story, right? Uh, like the shepherds, we are people who have heard good news and have responded in action. In faith. That's why it's so important to hear God's word every week as a church family, to devote time to it every day. We are people who have had our, our unbelieving ears unstopped by God's spirit so we can hear and understand God's truth. That's how we follow Christ. We follow in faith based on what we have heard, based on what we have been told in scripture. We have the very words of God. We have trusted in him. And isn't it beautiful that just like the shepherds, we see every, every day that we live as Christians that it is true. That what we read in scripture is true. Every day as we mature as believers, we see more and more that God is holy. That he's merciful. That he's patient and gracious. That even when he grants us suffering, he helps us endure. That he remains our kind and loving savior. Church, let's persevere in knowing God through his word and trusting this book and living our lives in accordance with it. When we give this up, we have no more foundation. Verse 16. The shepherds go into Bethlehem. They find it exactly as the angel had said. There's Mary, there's Joseph, there's a baby in the manger. And what do they start doing? They instantly begin sharing what the angels had told them. And they start telling others that this baby swaddled and laid in a cattle trough is the Savior. It's the Christ. It's the Lord anoint, Lord's anointed king. It's the prophet, the priest, the king. These anointed offices of God's people in the Old Testament brought to fruition. And they tell everyone. And everyone marvels there in verse 18. And then we see a different response from Mary, right? Verse 19. She treasures up all these things, pondering them in her heart. We can't know all that Mary pondered, but we do know the rest of the story, right? 
And however, the rest of the book of Luke, this story unfolds. And this lowly ba- baby uh, grows to suffer as an adult, to be persecuted, to remain faithful to his father, to be the savior of God's people at such great cost. Mary must have continued to ponder what was coming for her firstborn. But God had planned for eternity what was coming for her firstborn, for his only begotten son, that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would rise again, that he would put his feet on the neck of all God's enemies, conquering death and hell and Satan and sin forever, that he would be exalted finally above every name in heaven and on earth. Mary knew Jesus had come to save And she pondered it. Something that we are called to do as well. To marvel and to ponder. For her, what was God going to do? For us, look what Jesus did. Well, scene two comes to an end there in verse 20. As the shepherds leave and they raise their voices, we kind of hear as the curtain closes, the echo of their voices ringing, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. And church, that's a good place for us to think uh, and to wrap up as well. From our vantage point, we have a much better view than the shepherds did. We look back and we see the amazing plan of God fulfilled in Christ. We see a beginning before the worlds came to be, as we've been seeing in Ephesians over the last few months. Uh, We see the incarnation the beginning of something new in the manger. We see the climax, the cross. We see the ultimate end, the exaltation of Christ. And so church, we must respond to this good news, to this message of Christmas, to this birth announcement, the way that the shepherds responded. We must give great glory and praise to God because he has done it. He has accomplished our salvation. But as we think about that and as we close, let me just say that if you're like me, Many times, glory and praise are not the first things off your lip in the morning. Oftentimes, they're the last thing from your mind as your head hits the pillow at night. Sure, sometimes you can get a feeling of kind of love for God when you're in church or at Christmas, you know, as nostalgia kind of runs deep, or when you're with other Christians. But but kind of the the rejoicing that the shepherds are doing here, this kind of all-out, praise and proclamation to God for the gift of his son, the savior of the world. But for the most part, for honest, for many of us, that doesn't mark our lives. There's so many other things to be caught up in. So many other things to have our minds occupied with. And as we do that, I think for many of us, we come to a pastor like this wanting more, but realizing that for so many days and years, Jesus just seems distant at times from us. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe maybe Jesus feels foreign again. Maybe you come discouraged. Well, brothers and sisters, we are the recipients of this good news, and we are still weak. Jesus hasn't come back yet. We're, we're helpless. We're in need of God's grace. In his infinite wisdom, God gives us hard things. He gives us sufferings. He gives us trials because he's a loving father who lovingly disciplines his own. So if you're here and you're a Christian and you're discouraged, remember that this is why we gather. We don't gather because we're coming all full after a a good week 
and we're going to proclaim. Sometimes that happens, that's great. But the reason we gather together is because we're worn down after a week of suffering and hardship and temptation and the, the kind of the, the allure of the world and of sin. We come to hear this again, week after week after week after week, to hear what has been told us again and to persevere to the end. To remind each other that while we were still sinners, as Lee read for us earlier from Romans 5, that Christ died for us. That while we still hated him, God poured out his love on us to call one another to remember that that Jesus has come, that he is our savior, that this stuff is true, that he has defeated our greatest enemy, that he understands our suffering and our trials, that he's ever present to sustain us and to bring us all the way home. So church, this rejoicing that the shepherds are doing can be ours, not because we turn a blind eye to hardship and to temptations to unbelief, but because we have a king who left all his riches to suffer for us, to understand us, to bring us to himself. So if you're suffering this morning, if you feel unable to worship like these shepherds, if, if you've been despairing, if you've been weighed down by sin, Come to a suffering, conquering, victorious Savior. And if you come this morning full of joy that this is true, encourage the rest of us. This is what church is for. He has brought peace to those with whom he is pleased, with those on whom he has chosen to display his favor. He has brought joy to the lost. He has brought light to the dark. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. It may be that from the quietness and solitariness of your life, you are scarcely able to imitate the shepherds of Bethlehem who told what they had seen and heard. But you can at least fill up the circle of worshipers before the throne by wondering at what God has done. So church, let's make that our prayer for this morning and kind of our takeaway from this passage to wonder at what Jesus has done, to marvel at what God has brought to pass, Uh, that we would pray that our faith would increase, that we'd speak of this Savior to those around us, that we would say to those who are still in darkness, fear not, for behold, we have good news of great joy. A Savior has been born. A Savior has been killed, and a Savior has been risen again, all so that we might have new eternal life. May that be what comes from our lips, and increasingly what comes from our hearts as we go this morning. Let's pray that that would be true. Lord, we are so grateful for this season to take a break and reflect on what you have done in the incarnation of your son, also that we might be saved. We, we ask for your help as we seek to glorify and proclaim and praise you, um, as we seek to rejoice in the gospel like these shepherds. Lord, help us to set aside time to wonder at what you have done. Help us to not expect praise and glory to always just come naturally but to fill our minds with what you have done, 
to encourage one another to look to Jesus. And so we pray together as a church family, would you be so merciful, Father, as to give us a fresh glimpse of the wonderful beauty of Christ. Help us to see him in his manger, to see him on his cross, and now to behold him in all his resurrected glory, and that he's coming back. Lord, help us to look forward to that day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.